0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is the co-host of another podcast that I really want you to become aware of and subscribe to. Um, My guests are Cynthia Winward and Susan Hinckley. Welcome to the podcast. Thank Thank you, Richard.
1: Thank you.
0: Um, Susan is via joining us via Zoom in Arizona. And Cynthia is joining us from Utah County. Is that right, Cynthia?
1: Yes, in Provo.
0: In Provo. Um, the name of their podcast is At Last She Said It. And they have about 35 or more episodes up. And it's on Apple and other podcast platforms. And I just encourage you, we'll put a link in the podcast description to their podcast. I encourage you to. Um, listen to their podcast, subscribe to it, share it with others. And my goal in this podcast is that you get to know these two wonderful women and the work they're doing, and especially how to magnify and understand um, LDS women's voices. Susan and Cynthia are dear friends. Um, As I stepped in this space, they became mentors to me, really. And help me navigate some of the more complicated issues in our faith. Cynthia was on our podcast way back in episode 21, and Susan was in episode 63, and that's like 300 episodes ago, and, and maybe someday I'll stop doing podcasts. And all these other podcasts that are starting up um, can kind of get us to the finish line in helping um, our faith um, create better space and understanding for people that have harder roads so with that introduction um, we're just going to have four segments of the podcast um, the first one is let's I'll ask a question and turn it over to you women what is the main goal with your podcast and the acronym here is A-L-S-S-I at last she said it
1: Cynthia? Okay, I'll go ahead. I go. So for a second, can we just talk about the title, Richard? At you last, bet. she said it, and how we agonized and agonized over how we could come up with the title for our podcast. And I, I had an experience I, w- I want to refer to, and it was um, about 10 years ago when I was serving in Young Women's, and uh, I would go to Gospel Doctrine first, and then I would go to Young Women's second. And I sat near a, a couple of my friends in gospel doctrine that also would then just kind of walk across the hall with me and go to Young Women's. And I noticed in Young Women's, of course, they were teaching and they were speaking with power and authority. And yet in gospel doctrine, they never said a word. And so I pulled them aside one time and I said, okay, ladies, what is going on? Why don't you ever have anything to say in gospel doctrine? You have such wonderful things to say every other place. And they said, oh, I, we could never I could never speak up in that in that room when there are men in the room, and I thought that was really interesting. That so often women feel maybe that they have less to offer um, in church settings than men. I, I I don't know exactly where that comes from. I I can guess. I mean, you know, we don't have as many um, situations where women teach um, men and women combined. You know, if, even if you look at our general conference, we have maybe two women speak each time you know to a room full of men and women so I I can see where they were coming from and yet uh maybe Susan wants to talk about you know how that even applies just with when women are just in the room and how sometimes it's even difficult to at last say it
2: Well, first of all, some people are just shy, Cynthia, so I would have been one of those women that you're talking about who never dares to say anything in gospel doctrine, and I really don't even dare to speak up that much in Relief Society unless I have some measure of control, so, I mean, I'll just put it out there right now that I've been teaching Relief Society in my current ward for almost seven years, um, And so, you know, I've gotten used to that. But if I'm not the one controlling the conversation, it's still really, really hard for me. I'm an extremely shy person. So there are a lot of women who just aren't comfortable speaking up. But I think more to the point of women who don't speak up in mixed meetings, um, you hit that right on the head. I just think we're not used to it. Women are just not used to teaching women and men. We're not used to being the authority in the room or not used to being regarded as um, having authority in the room at church. And so I think we really easily just fall into those old uh, old patterns that are, that are so familiar to us as members of the church. You know, our meetings are, because everything is so patterned at church, I feel like it's really, really easy to really embrace the pattern and just let yourself fall into it. I don't think most people come to church thinking that they're really going to be challenged to turn their brains on. We kind Mm. of, you know, show up for those three hours, coast through them. Everyone plays their roles that we all know so very well. Um, We use the same language. We teach the same lessons every four years, you know, all of those things that are comfortable to us. And that's just the way that it's been done. So I think it's very easy for women to slide into that role as kind of um, second fiddle. And uh, in, in a space like Gospel Doctrine, I think um, that's that's particularly true.
1: I think it's also true with women, like you were saying, Susan, sometimes even when it's just women in the room, it's particularly difficult, mainly I have found because of the topics themselves, right? I mean, I feel like so often in Relief Society, we kind of, you know, whatever our topic is, and sometimes we'll get really close to something that I would really like to explore, and we kind of just don't really go head on into those kind of sticky topics. And so that's something that you and I have decided we're going to do on, on our podcast is so often some of the best conversations in Relief Society happen after the closing prayer, right? And, and <laughs> so, the, so, so we want
2: my walk the next
1: day <laughs> with my friends on the walk the next day. Exactly. We really wanted to talk about. Yeah. So sometimes at the end of lessons it would kind of lead into another discussion i would have with my with my girlfriends whether that was you know if we were talking about modesty or you know stickier things things even stickier than that like patriarchy or you know callings and polygamy and just all these topics that we kind of are in our church but we really aren't comfortable talking about them in our well, then three-hour block, but now our two-hour block. Well, now no-hour block, right? Because <laughs> no one's in, in church right now during COVID. And so that's why we felt this, this project was, was needed, was to... There are
2: just a lot of elephants in the room when you're huh? in, a, in a Relief Society room. There are a lot of elephants in the room with you. And I think that some women may not have even stopped to consider that that's true. Um, but for many of the women there, it is true. There are all these topics in the room with us That we tiptoe around, but we don't address because the conversations are either too complicated to really, you know, get where you need to go in relief society, or people are not comfortable being vulnerable. And these things are connected to very vulnerable things in in women's lives. Um, These sometimes expose the ways in which women's personal lives do not fit the ideal. You know, a lot of families look different, and women's situations and lives are different, and their ideas and beliefs are different but um, they're not used to really showing up with all of those things at church. So there are a lot of other things in the room with us that keep us from getting to those things. And so really um, what Cynthia and I hoped with this podcast is that we could start to shed a little bit of light on some of those other things that are there because um, when we're more aware of the women sitting next to us, the things that they're Caring and holding, you know, the very real issues that women are dealing with, when we're more aware of them, and Richard, you know this, because this is what your whole podcast is about, right? When you know other people's stories, then you can love them better. And if we're meant to be ministering to these women, we need to know and understand them. But there really hasn't been a space in your average Relief Society lesson To get to that place. And so Cynthia and I wanted to provide a space where we could touch on some of those things that don't generally make it into the Relief Society lesson, but that impact the way that women feel about the things that they're teaching and the things that they're hearing at church. These things deeply impact women's spiritual lives. And so we really just wanted to open space. Um, You know, my motto is always make space, make space, and then make a little bit more space (laughs) because I've never felt like I personally had. Enough space at church, and so when I started trying to make space for myself, I realized, hey, that automatically creates space for someone else in the room. And so that's kind of um, really what we've been trying to do. Um, that, and you know, I just had a few things I've wanted to get off my
1: chest for years. So I guess I <laughs> started a podcast <laughs> so I could say. That. Susan's personal soapbox maybe
2: yeah. it's it's a little it's a little bit of Susan's personal soapbox although Cynthia we try not to be too whiny right yes we try to, we, we try to speak respectfully and, re, and responsibly about things that actually are deeply meaningful to us also you know we absolutely we we love the church we're not here to try to call anyone out or take anyone down we're really just here to try and let some fresh air in on old ideas and see if we can encourage women to think in new ways about them and understand a little
1: better the person who's sitting next to them. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
2: We also um, really wanted to empower all women um, to have. A voice in the conversation. We really want everyone who's showing up at church, no matter where they kind of fit on the spectrum of engagement or belief, um, to be able to say the things that they need to say. I think that inability to say the things, to speak the things in our hearts is one of the things that sort of leads people out of the church, frankly. if you If you don't feel like you can say the important things to you and the things that are really weighing on your spirit, then um, our church really isn't meeting your spiritual needs and you are likely to look elsewhere
1: for that. I don't know. What do you think about that? Are you asking me or Richard? <laughs>
2: Either one of you. I mean, do, do you think that's true? Do you think that not having a voice um, in a, in your religious setting kind of just shuts down your spiritual life
1: in a way? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Nobody wants to feel lonely or misunderstood. Um, I've heard you say before on the Richard, uh, Richard, on the podcast that Brene Brown quote about belonging. And I just think that applies so much that women need to feel like they belong. I think in many ways it's already difficult um, being an LDS woman in this church, and and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, But to feel worse than that is to feel lonely. And, and I know for myself, you know, I've had a lot of these ideas and issues and complex, complex um, ideas in my head about in my, in my head about the church for many years. But I feel like I've always had good friends that I've been able to um, discuss them with. Like I was saying, sometimes after you say amen in, in Relief Society, then I can, you know, talk about it with my girlfriends about what just happened. Um, but for so many women, they don't, have that and that's a terrible feeling to to feel alone and to feel like you you don't belong so we very much hope we're we're speaking um, to women who who feel lonely and who feel like they don't belong
2: we also really wanted to create a space for women to ask questions because we've had a lot of questions over the years and um, there our church doesn't always feel like it's particularly friendly to questions and um you know, life moves at a fast pace. And I don't know about you too, but I mean, for me, it seems to be moving at an even faster pace all the time. And, you know, things are not static and questions naturally are going to occur and questions about big things. But if you don't have a place that you can ask them at church, if you're not in a church that is really um, willing to take on the questions that are central in your life at any given point, then what is uh, what is your religion really doing for you so Cynthia and I wanted to be able to ask our own questions and create a safe space for other women to ask questions and help all of us ask better questions mm-hmm. so yeah those are just kind of some of our some of our main goals so that's what we're working for i guess our listeners could tell us whether we're succeeding in all those things <laughs> <laughs> i hope that we are I think we are, but I'm not uh, I'm not totally sure. Hopefully, um, we'll keep figuring it out as we go, Cynthia. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I just think what you just share, said and what you're tra- doing is really needed. And I realize I'm the male of the three of us, and I'm often <laughs> in my... Often I've done things in my past and may continue to mute the voices of women around me and make it harder to participate. That gospel doctrine example is a pretty good one where women shine, but when they're in a mixed company with men, um, their voices are muted. Either they have just learned that or they felt their experiences aren't as valued. And I've recognized that I had to listen to women um, tell me that Um and hear their experiences. And that's why I'm so glad your podcast is needed. I've certainly seen that. I, as I become more aware of this, there was a woman in our ward who asked uh, in gospel doctrine, a question, it was a vulnerable question. And I think sometimes gospel doctrine sort of becomes this scholarly experience where the scholarly answers kind of shine and vulnerability doesn't really shine. And she asked a vulnerable question and, and there were some pretty scholarly um answers given but i watched her body language and she just sank in her chair as i th- think her body language was saying to me that she felt embarrassed for answering that question and not knowing the answer and and why the scholarly men in the room had a chance to really shine it became a a moment where i'm not sure she'll ever open up again and have the wow. courage to be vulnerable and so I probably wouldn't have seen that if I hadn't have listened to some others' experiences and tried to understand. And I recognize that she has. She may not have. And this isn't a gender thing, but those that are in class may not have the best scholarly answer. But I kind of call it the best answer club. We can't just have our gospel doctrine or our Relief Society or Elders' Corn be the best answer club from a Uh scholarly perspective. And that group that really often has the best insights. It needs to be that and Vulnerability and honesty, and and to be able to, like Susan said, share the things that are in our heart. Um, There's a lot of heavy things that are in our hearts that are church related, and if we can't share them with our faith community, that just that's really hard. And so I'm glad that your podcast exists, and women are being able to share your stories. And I hope that men are listening to your podcast so that we can do a better job and see some of the blind spots that have come into our lives um, and how we can better value women's voices. Um, let's go to the second question. Um, why, do we, why do you feel this project is needed? Um, I'm just going to restate the name of the podcast I want everybody to, by the end of this podcast, have the name of your podcast just imprinted on your brains. At, uh, at last, she said it.
2: The answer is in the name right there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's why it was needed because at last someone needed to start saying it.
1: Right. Okay, Richard, I might really embarrass myself here because I know you made your living in, or still do, I don't know, in in marketing and in business. And, And I have a degree in business. And I remember in one of my marketing classes, and this has stayed with me all these years, we learned about the term capturing the market right? How do you capture different segments of the market? And I remember our professors used an example of like a movie theater, right? We're all going into the same movie theater. We're all going to see the same movie and then have maybe the same experience, probably not watching the movie, but the way you capture the market or get every segment of the market is you figure out how to price your product so that, you can maximize your profits, right? And so that's where we get like, there are senior price tickets, adult price tickets, uh, children, adult, you know, so often movie theaters will charge different prices. And so, I mean, to look at this from a business point of view and, and, you know, all metaphors break down, so don't look too closely at it. But I think Susan and I want to encourage consumption of the gospel of Jesus Christ from maybe a different marketing standpoint. I think the church does a really good job of, uh, of marketing, so to speak, you know, to speaking to maybe most of the people that are in the pews and helping them feel like they belong. But not everyone, and, and Susan and I are speaking particularly to women, of course, we do have male listeners, but particularly to women, you know, so often women might feel like, you know, am I crazy? Why am I having a completely different experience than the rest of, you know, the women in this room? So, Our goal is, you know, can we market or can we meet this woman where she's at in her current state? Can we not force her to change? Can we not tell her how to fit her square mind into a round hole? But can we say to the woman who might be a feminist or might be an LGBTQ ally or in whatever way maybe she feels like she, um, you know, doesn't quite fit with everyone in the room? Can we say to her, "We need you, and we need you in the pews," and and so, I think it really is best for our church um, when we can learn how to maximize those profits. And by profits, I mean experiences. Can we maximize the, the experiences of everyone um, in the church through more inclusive language and behaviors and policies? Um, and Susan and I like to say, you know, we don't have any power to make any of these changes, but we do have a voice and we can talk about them and hopefully. Um, we can say to some women because we have felt it ourselves. You know, I realize what this is costing you sometimes to come to church. And and you know, we could with our with my metaphor and marketing, you could go back and forth. Is is the price less for women? You know, to sit in the pews is it higher? I I would say personally for me, um, if I'm looking at maybe my experience compared to my husband's, and that's just one experience. It's harder for me. Um, it, I feel like it costs me a little bit more. Um, to be a Latter-day Saint woman than it than it costs for him. And I say that mainly because, you know, when my husband walks into church, he sees all men on the stand, they conduct the meeting, they bless and pass the sacrament, um, you know, and, and the examples go on and on from there. State conference, general conference, high councils, everything. And so it's a little bit more difficult uh, in my experience to be a woman in this church. And the cost is just a little bit, greater to me. And so those are kind of the reasons we felt like this project was needed, was we wanted to talk about um, some of those costs for women and, uh, and, and try to just make them feel less alone. Love that. We're also trying to um, speak not just to women who need to feel like they belong, but also maybe give a little bit of a window to other women who maybe don't feel that same way. You know, I spend a lot of time on social media. So do you, Richard and, and Susan. And 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 I often see women try to put out maybe a vulnerable post and say, you know, this is difficult for me in church. And she'll get a lot of comments saying, me too, me too. But then she always gets at least a couple of women saying, you know, well, I'm an LDS woman and I've never experienced any of this. You know, and it just kind of, it feels so deflating to kind of put your heart out there put your emotions out there and then to have another woman say, well, I don't feel any of this. And so we're we're trying to speak also to those women who maybe are curious and they want to understand the other women in the room who feel uh, like I said, maybe they are feminists and they, and they hope for better days in the church for women. And so we hope that they want to listen and, and understand it as well. And I have this quote I wanted to read here by, Brene Brown from her book, Braving the Wilderness, and she said this, people often silence themselves or agree to disagree without fully exploring the actual nature of the disagreement for the sake of protecting a relationship and maintaining connection. But when we avoid certain conversations and never fully learn how the other person feels about all of the issues, we sometimes end up making assumptions that not only perpetuate, but deepen misunderstandings. And that can generate resentment. And so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to help all the women in the room, um, all the women who need to feel like they belong or want to understand those who feel like they belong. So that, like Brene Brown said, you know, fully learn how the other person feels about all of the issues.
0: That's great. Susan. Yeah,
2: that's huge for me, uh, that idea of helping the women in the room understand who the other women are in the room. i I never really was aware until, well, it's been maybe about six years ago that I experienced what I would describe as a silence crisis, not a faith crisis. It was different for me. It was that I hadn't been able to say the things I needed to say, and i and I came to a point where I had to say them. But I had never really fully realized all the reasons why I had held all those things. And so much of um, the conversation that goes on at church is really designed to shut down further conversation. It's not really designed to stimulate conversation, right? We like to get to the point where we're all on the same page, um, where we can all feel like we're, you know, there, I know that unity is, the idea of unity is big, being of one heart and one mind. Um, You know, that's a a, a very appealing idea, and that's an explicit goal um, at church, and I agree with that, but I think that sometimes we really do ourselves a disservice when we assume that unity means that we're all having the same experiences, that we're thinking and feeling the same things, right? Right. um, It it just really doesn't mean that at all, right? The unity is about the love in the room. That's what the unity is, and so I I really had to come to an understanding that in order to generate conversation, in order to invite everyone into a genuine conversation, to bring the things they have and find the things that they need, there it was going to require um, opening space.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was going to require making space, and the only way I could finally see to do that was to start to say the things that I needed to say and hope. I mean, I didn't know how this was going to go (laughs) when I started doing it. I didn't know how this gigantic vulnerability thing was going to turn out when it started, but I hoped that if I opened up a little space, somebody would step into it. And that is 100% been my experience. Um, I just don't allow the conversation to get shut down because I started in an uncomfortable place for a lot of people to begin with. That's just the method that I have used as a teacher. I start in a place that nobody ever wanted to go to begin with um, because it puts us right there. Uh, and an example of that would be, um, I'll sometimes uh, start a lesson by asking some questions, something like that, that are questions that are on that are probably on the minds of many of the women there, but not the kinds of things that we generally ask. Like I, if I'm if I'm talking about the temple, then I might start the lesson by saying, what are some of the reasons that the temple is difficult for some people? Well, we're mm-hmm. just not used to starting a conversation in that place. And I'm willing to say, well, here's why the temple is difficult for me. That's the first thing that has to happen. I have to be willing to go first. So I do that and ask the questions, and always, always, always people step in, but it requires getting out of our collective comfort zone, and there's a lot of uncomfortable shifting in your chair that goes on uh, when you're in My Relief Society, especially. I think women expect it from me now, but you know, in the beginning, (laughs) in the beginning, (laughs) there were a lot of alarmed faces, but um, I really had underestimated the amount of vulnerability that was in that room, and how many women were just holding things that they had been looking for a place to set down and hadn't been invited to do that until now. Um, I, I am always, always humbled by the things that women are willing to share. They're dying to share them if we give them an opportunity to do it. And I want church to be one of those places that people feel like you know they can do that. And in my whole lifetime, I'm a lifelong member of the church. In my whole lifetime, church had never felt like that space for me. But that's really what I wanted it to become. Um, I, you know, I can't help but wonder, my own daughters, um, two of the three are no longer in the church. And I can't help but wonder if I had kind of been doing this work decades ago might I have been able to create enough space for them to be able to stay? Um, My goal is to make it so that other women's daughters who are coming along now might find the space that my daughters didn't find. Um, So it's a goal that sits very, very near and dear to my personal experience and to my heart.
1: So basically what Susan is saying is, we have taken her release society lessons and we're like let's turn this into a podcast because <laughs> i would yeah i would get so jealous susan would teach these lessons and then we would be texting afterwards and i would say oh my goodness i think i just need to fly down to arizona to hear these lessons of yours and and the more we said that the more we were like you know what maybe other people want to hear these these things too about difficult topics like susan's example of of the temple the temple's wonderful and it's beautiful but there's also difficulties there. And we don't really seem to talk about that at church. And so, you know, we've had an episode about that. It was actually one of our highest downloaded episodes. episodes. Yeah, because
2: we want to talk about it. Yeah. A lot of, you know, the temple, well, that episode is called the ultimate big deal because it is the ultimate big deal (laughs) in our church. But when you put that much pressure on something that aren't at liberty to talk about anything really, you know, around it or about it, Uh, wow, you set up a real dynamic (laughs) around that. It is the untouchable, untouchable topic. So for us to crack that open a little bit um, and look at at some of the things around it was really scary. Cynthia and I were scared recording that episode um, because, you know, it's the topic, the temple is a very sacred topic and uh, that was hard, but we also knew that it was really, really important. Those conversations just need to happen. You know, and and the last thing that I would say about why we feel this project is needed, um, basically, women in the church have been sitting around waiting for men to notice their needs and uh, their desires and everything else. Been sitting around waiting for the men to notice and uh, and to voice everything for us. Basically, we haven't really had a forum to ask for a lot of the things that we need and say the things that we need. And I, in my experience. As a woman who's been married for almost 40 years now, giving hints or waiting for my husband to notice things uh, that I might need or want are <laughs> not as effective. It <laughs> as doesn't work. Let's just say I've been disappointed in more than one Christmas gift when I failed to just come out and say, this is what I'd like. Um, yeah, sometimes we are not communicating the messages that we think we are when we are not direct in expressing the things that we need to say. And so for the women of the church to have spent, what are we at now, 200 years <laughs> waiting for the men to notice things for us, ask for things that we need, um, receive revelation for us, all of those things. Um, it could be that we need to take a little bit more responsibility um, for getting those things voice. Mhm, uh-huh. And then the last thing is that no one else is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> True. And I, we did a lot of research before we started this podcast, and there just weren't a lot of women's podcasts out there speaking to the kinds of things that uh we wanted to talk to. I guess that's why we needed to hear it and say it so much because we weren't finding it anywhere else, so um, I don't know why there weren't. That kind of surprises me, but uh. It's been a real privilege to be the woman to kind of step into this space. Don't you think,
1: Cynthia? Huge privilege, huge privilege, because then we hear so many stories from women, lots of feedback from them. And that's kind of a sacred place when you hear such tender stories from women, most of them right through like private messages. So things they probably still wouldn't dare say out loud, right? They'll say it to us um, and we can all kind of share in that together. Um, Another part of our project, and we call it a project, not just a podcast, is that we have monthly discussion groups. And you can hear about it if you follow us on social media. And the women that come to our, we call it Ladies Night In, because it's just on Zoom, is the women will often say, you know, at the end of the meeting, right, Susan? They say things like, this has been the best Relief Society meeting I've ever (laughs) attended. So, yeah, a lot of feeling of community. It's uh,
2: astonishing the things that women are willing to share and just waiting for a place to share in those just, meetings. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. remarkable. Those meetings have been a remarkable experience. And like you say, very sacred. We um, really created um, a, very, a very special place there. And that is not through any doing of our own. It's that the women really needed it. We provide the opportunity. And they just step in and uh, do this magic thing. And it's absolutely beautiful. I'd agree. It's the best Relief Society that I've ever imagined. <laughs> it really is.
1: Yeah.
0: That's a great segment. Um, I'm just deeply touched. Um, just one thing that particularly touched me was just this, this visual imagery that Susan created where women are, holding things. They're just looking for a place to set it. Uh, uh, that isn't quite exactly what you said. And, and I, that's really true. Um, um, and I, and people need a place to set how they're feeling inside. And so that needs to be in our faith communities. Um, and so I just think, and I love that you're these vulnerable release lessons where you start being you start by being vulnerable, and that that breeds more vulnerability. <laughs> and we don't do that very well. Men don't do that very well. Culturally, we don't value that. But I think it's the way we come together and heal each other. And I'm and I also, when you talk about one heart and one mind in Moses, to me, that is exactly the way you taught it. It doesn't mean we have the same. Feelings about every issue are the same political parties, but we're all unified in our desire to come unto Christ and help others come with us. Mm-hmm. And I like Elder Quentin Cook's quote, which I have in front of me from Conference Unity and diversity are not opposites. We can achieve greater unity as we foster an atmosphere of inclusion and a respect for diversity. So I think we're learning how to do that. And what you're doing is, um, to me, consistent with what Christ did and what Elder Cook is inviting us to do. Yeah,
2: I love that quote.
0: Thank you for that. Um, The third question here of these four questions for our listeners, we're on question three. What are some of the main takeaways so far from the feedback conversations uh, that you two are having with LDS Women in response and on social media?
1: Well, we've probably already touched on that just a smidge, but I would say that overall there are two messages, two two main messages of feedback that Susan and I have get. get. And the first one is, I'm not crazy. And the second one is, I feel less alone. And so we've kind of already touched on that. But I mean, and one thing that makes this project, I think, uh, successful is that Susan and I have come. Completely different personalities, right? There's some overlap and we have similar interests. We both love cake and pie and, you know, certain TV shows and things like that. But for the most part, Susan and I are quite different. And I remember saying this, I went back and listened to the episode. um, I was on Richard of your podcast way back in the beginning. I think it was episode 21. Right. And I think I even said on that episode that for most of my life, probably until about the age of 40, The church worked splendidly in my life, and I completely felt like I fit in. I never would have been one of those women who was like, I feel alone. I don't feel like I belong. But I mean, life has a way of happening. And all of a sudden, things happened in my life. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I didn't belong. And so I know Susan, Susan can speak to this about what her personality is. I don't need to speak for her. but Susan's had a different experience in that way, maybe the opposite, Susan. And, and so for me, this has been really meaningful because in many ways, I can kind of look at my life before and I can kind of look at my life after, after everything crashed. And I never had a faith crisis either, like Susan said. Susan said you had a silence crisis. I had a silence crisis. Yeah, I had a life crisis. Like for me, it was just things all of a sudden in my, in my life were spinning out of control. And I didn't know how to stop the spinning. And, and for the first time at church, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm, I don't feel like I fit in anymore. And so I can really appreciate when we get feedback from women who say the same thing to me. I felt like everything was going fine. I, you know, I had the husband, I had the kids, I had the temple marriage, I had, you know, stayed at home, whatever. And then something happens and it's always different. I mean, there might be some overlap, but that's kind of been my favorite part when we get feedback from women is there are a whole lot of commonalities, but so often what causes whatever faith crisis, silence crisis, or life crisis, you know, whatever we call that crisis, the crash, whatever causes that crash, um, it's different. It's so different because we are all different. We all have these different personalities. And, uh, and I think that's also something that's really helped Susan and I, as we discuss some of these sticky topics, is that very often... Susan and I are coming at it from maybe different experiences that we've had throughout our life. Wouldn't you say, Susan? Definitely.
2: We have different experiences. We have different personalities. We have different approaches. Um, Yeah, it's amazing for two women who grew up in the same church, um, really how different our approaches and experiences have been. But I think that's part of what makes this podcast uh, more useful to women is that if they don't identify with you, then maybe they identify with me and the type altogether. But um, at least uh, they they can at least I think find something to latch on to in one of our stories. And we've also got about a decade between us in age, and so um, you know Cynthia is able to fill in some of the gaps for younger people that uh, I'm that I you know grew up in a different time then, and. Um, as we all know that the church- the church is actually quite different depending on where you live in it, you know and what age you were coming through the various programs um what you participated in or didn't what you learned or didn't um those things are very different, so I think that we bring a pretty good um a pretty good variety of things. Cynthia and I actually met each other um, working volunteering together in an online support group for um Latter-day Saints who find themselves in some kind of crisis, like Cynthia uh, refers to. Mine was a silence crisis. Hers was a life crisis. Many people find themselves in faith crisis. And that's where we sort of met and got to know each other, is that both of us were working there. But the fascinating thing to me um, in the feedback that we've received from women is how many women um, seem to be experiencing some kind of crisis of their own. Whether it's faith or life or, you know, whatever whatever it is that they've gone to, um, turned to listening to podcasts in hope of finding, you know, something to help them, um, help support them and sustain them in, in where they are. Uh, we have a lot of listeners who are in some kind of crisis. And so we get the feedback quite often that we are providing a lifeline that they otherwise weren't finding. And that is enormously humbling and a huge, huge responsibility to me. That feels like such a weighty responsibility. Um, And I want to do it well. (laughs) I want to be a good lifeline and a real lifeline for people. And um, so I hope that that we're doing that, but I'm continually amazed at just how many members there are in, um, you know, at least that we're coming in contact with who are struggling with one thing or another. There are a lot of different ways to struggle and people are struggling. And uh, a lot of them are struggling, um, not publicly, but they will reach out to us and say, hey, I'm barely hanging on here, but if I can listen to your conversations once a week, I realize I'm not alone, and uh, so I'm hanging on, keep having the conversations, and um, that's just been enormously rewarding. So,
1: Susan, I think it's funny that you point out that, yes, there is an age difference between us. However, what I also find interesting is that even though maybe you grew up in the 70s and I grew up in the 80s, is that so many of the topics are like, oh, yeah, that's the same. We're still discussing exactly the same. some of the same things. And so, you know, I'm actually quite surprised how many younger women maybe in their twenties listen to us as well, because it's like, yep, we're all in this same boat together. And we're still kind of discussing the, the same thing. You know, we recently had an episode on callings and we talked all about, you know, different callings and how they affect our, sometimes our spiritual self-worth and and callings maybe we wish we could have, but that you know women aren't allowed to have. And it was really interesting um, how much feedback already we've we've gotten from uh, from a lot of women who are you know a decade or two younger than than we are, and they resonate and have all the same feelings. So some things really are cross generational. Mm-hmm. I think in mm-hmm. the church doesn't matter well, how old. Yeah, they
2: are, and we have said before. You know, even though some programs change things. Change. Um, all of those things are still worth talking about, those things that have fallen by the wayside, because they did shape the church that we're in now. And they did absolutely, shape the experiences and lives of the women who grew up in the church, right? So even though they're maybe not an issue anymore, specifically, they're still in the room with us. So um, it's, it's there's still value in talking about the whole spectrum of uh, Latter day Saint experiences for women of every age. So we're really um, very, very Devoted to trying to make space that will be of value to the young women who are coming along now. Because, our, in our own experience, um, our own daughters have not wanted to step into the church roles that Cynthia and I have spent our lives in. Um, we are not finding that um, some of the culture and uh, some of the institutional things about the church really are of interest or of. Help in the lives of young people now. There, it's not it's not giving them what they want. They're they're not interested in sticking around. And uh, if something I can do anything, anything at all to try and um, build a better bridge, I guess to the next generation, then we're heavily heavily invested in doing that. Um, because for me, it comes too late, but I care deeply about it. So,
1: yeah. I agree. I think that's been the hardest thing uh for me is to see um my daughters and how they have struggled in the church and how it's just not resonating with them and I don't know what to do about that. I mean, I I feel like I I I've, I've showed them here's my Susan and I have an episode um a two-part episode actually called Uncrossed Bridges and where where we kind of say to our daughters, you know, look, we we're showing you how you cross this bridge. We're showing you how we have made it work as as women in this church uh, who maybe, you know, wished things were different, but they aren't. And so this is kind of how we reconcile things and, and make things work for us. And so that's been really difficult to look at our own daughters and say, look, look at this bridge we've built. And for them to say, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. That That has been extremely, extremely difficult. I know for Susan and now for myself as my girls are getting older and they're like, Not interested. And I don't know what to do about that. Except, like Susan said, we're deeply invested in the women who say, I want to be here. Then maybe we can say, here's how you do it, or here's one way you can do it. Maybe our experience will help you, maybe it won't. Maybe another woman out there's experience will resonate with you and and you'll find um, find your own path and your own way to fit.
2: And also Um, tell us what you need. Let's talk about. Let's talk about.
1: What isn't resonating for you?
2: You know, help us understand um, what we're going to need to do and what direction we're going to need to move because we, the church has got to start having that conversation with our young people. We need to understand what it is that we're not feeding them, uh, what parts of them are, are going unfed by what we offer. And so Cynthia and I are trying to create space. I would say we don't have a lot of 20-somethings who um, come to our discussion groups, but we do have some. We do have some. So there are uh, young women who are interested in trying to find a bridge that they want to cross. And uh, anything we can do to help that happen, um, boy, we want to do it. We we really do.
1: We do.
0: For our listeners, um, just to reference some of the podcasts that have come up, The Ultimate Big Deal, which is about the temple, is episode 24 on Cynthia and Susan's podcast and this Uncrossed Bridges, part one and two is episodes 29 and 30. I encourage you to check those out. And um I, you know, one of the things I you said earlier that resonated with me is some women aren't having um they're they're not having an experience like you're having, and everything kind of works. And and I think Susan mentioned that, and I think what I've learned is that. I think people can be having different experiences, but let's don't invalidate. So if you're a man or a woman, I don't think you either of you women did this and in inferring this, but if you're having an experience at church and none of this resonates with you and um, everything's working for you and you're having positive experiences and there's a lot of people in our faith that are experiencing that kind of experience at church, be open that there's people around you that are having a different experience. And it's not because they're less faithful or less committed to church or they're not reading. It's just because they're having a different experience. And so I think for those of us that are having not having that kind of experience, I think this is why a podcast like These Two Women are helpful is you can listen to their voices and you're hearing some of them here to help us, and I'm kind of in both worlds, to be honest. I, I can be more aware of people around me or people not attending that are having a different experience. And that's what I think ministering is. Um, Let's go to um, the last question in our last segment, if I can find it here. Here it is. What could make the biggest positive difference in our personal church experiences as LDS women? Well, you know, I'll lead off on this one for me personally.
2: Um, being able to be myself at church would be transformational. I can hardly even imagine it. I'm making progress toward it. I'm making progress, but I've been working hard at it and with a lot of intention for, like I said, six years, um, <clears throat> just trying to make a little bit more space for myself and then, you know feel at liberty to show up and fill that space once I've created it. So um that that uh, is that would probably make the biggest difference in my church life. and I hope someday to realize that goal that I can show up in full as the whole Susan Hinckley and feel comfortable being there in my um, Mormon skin. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, that, that would be the number one thing, but no one else can do that for me. However, there are things that um, collectively people can do that would, that would also really help. Um, You know, I have been I've I've considered myself a feminist from a very, very young age. And so, you know, that's been part of my sort of uneasy, I call it itchy, my sort of itchy fit with the church (laughs) my whole life. Things things have been a little itchy for me, and feminism would be one of those reasons why. But so there are things. Um, Equal representation. I think Cynthia mentioned at some point about her husband, you know, would walk into the building and see all men on the stand. Um, I think that feeling a little more representation um, by women in the church. And um, that that doesn't necessarily, I don't feel like that would necessarily require um, changes in doctrine. I think there are a lot of things that we could do to give women more visibility and more voice without requiring any doctrinal changes at all. And we just need to be willing to use our collective imagination and creativity to make that happen. But the first thing needs to be a will for it. So um, if we could get people thinking thinking about that, that would be, I think, transformational. And then, you know, um, we hear often um, our leaders, say, at General Conference, and there have been a few specific talks that I can think of, where um, they have been begging the women to speak up. We need your voices. Um, was it President Nelson who gave a talk? Yes. We, uh, saying that we need women's voices. You know, please speak up. But as Cynthia mentioned in a recent um, podcast episode, where, you know, speak up where? Because there needs to be a place for women to say those things and to be able to speak up in ways that meaningfully contribute to what's going on in awards. So it's great to encourage the women to speak up, but then there also needs to be um, a place where they are heard when they do. And um, so that's a, that's another place that I think may require some creativity and imagination to um, open up some space for women in leadership that doesn't exist now. And the last thing that I will say about that is that um, that, of course, brings us to one of the giant elephants in the room, which is always going to be priesthood. Um, and I think some people probably take one look at our podcast and think, I don't want to hear a couple of women go on and on and on about how they want ordination for women. I'm afraid that anytime women start speaking at church, there's bound to be someone who is going to assume that we're agitating for ordination. And that is absolutely not the case. Um, I am a strong believer that the priesthood keys are in place in a ward that would allow women to operate with a little more autonomy than we are now under the keys that are already in existence in our organization. Women do not require ordination to do a lot of things that can make a meaningful contribution and award. It's just going to require... Expanding our thinking, and we've already seen some of those things happen. Women can witness baptisms now, for instance, and there was no doctrinal change that needed to happen there. There are just a lot of policy things that are, frankly, habit. We're used to seeing men in some callings and women in other callings, and uh, we could uh, we could change that if we get the um, collective will to do that. And so, those are things that would make a huge difference for me personally. Um, anything that you can think of, Cynthia?
1: yes lots of things i can think of i'll speak uh quickly though just to equal representation as well and and like susan said we are not activists uh probably similar to your focus on your podcast richard we're not um actively out there picketing for change in the church we're just trying to say okay how what can we do now with the current system we have now so that people? uh, feel less alone and they feel like they belong. And, and maybe, you know, having these conversations, we do kind of nudge maybe our leaders to say, you know, yeah, this isn't a calling that, uh, that is typically reserved. Um, that is always reserved for men. Maybe it doesn't need to be that way. And and I told a story recently on our, on our podcast about, um, my husband was recently called to be the financial clerk. And I always thought that would be a fabulous calling to have. I'm good with numbers. And I have a degree in finance. And yet, why can't a woman be in charge of money? My husband doesn't need to hold any priesthood keys, you know, to be able to do that. And so when the state presidency member issued that calling to my husband, um, it was about him. So I didn't say anything. But, you know, when he said to my husband, actually, this would be my dream calling. You know, I'm sitting there going, it would be my dream calling too. But, you know, (laughs) so why can't? You know, why can't we talk about maybe some of these callings that I think men or women um, could do? And and I think about, um, you know, I, I've heard these studies about men and women in politics in here in our country, in the United States. And so often women in politics, um, they focus more on needs of families and the needs of children and, and usually the, the least in society, right? The people who are marginalized and they want to know how we can we help them. Whereas men often focus on like balanced budgets and changing tax structures and things like that. And so we need both. I feel like, you know, if we need both in politics, then why don't we need both in the church? I feel like what men will bring to the table and what women will bring to the table are both essential to be represented equally that way. And I remember, Richard, on, on the podcast way back when I was on with you, I said, and I'm going to repeat it again. I said, I think as long as 50% of the church is making decisions on behalf of the 100%, we're never going to be 100%. And I feel, I feel like there's just so much more for women women to give. And, and I wanted to read this quote by Reina Aburto. And she said, revelation is scattered among us. And when we put that revelation together, we can see more. And that's really what I want. I want for us to see more. I love this church. I've given my whole life to it, but I can see so many blind spots and so many ways where I feel underutilized as a woman, uh, where it hasn't been relevant for my daughters, and that has broken my heart, um, and, and, and my friends at church, and, and we talk about these difficult things, and I just think, like Sister Alberto said, our revelation together would be so much more. And that's what I want. I want more for us. I want us all in the room, men and women, serving together, sharing our collective experiences and figuring out how we can make this church better for everybody. Amen.
0: I'm just so touched. Um, There's so many thoughts that come to my mind. Um, Ben Shilotti, a gay Latter-day Saint at BYU, on his podcast, Questions from the Closet, Talked about the brother of Jared and talked about um, being led to a new promised land that they had never seen before. And he talked about in the context of creating a new promised land for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that we can't quite see right now. Um, but that's but as but the same new promised land needs to exist for Latter-day Saint women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we're not And I love that story in Jacob, the brother of Jacob um, that talks, that was a, that was a physical promised land, obviously, but I think you're talking about, and that's what I think is the beauty of our church with continuing revelation, but it takes thinking outside the dots. It takes creative thinking. It takes setting aside sort of assumptions. So your point about, could I be a financial clerk and does that a change of doctrine, Um, we could have said the same thing about women witnessing baptisms. Well, that seems a bit out there. And then it's now part of the new promised land, so to speak. And so (laughs) I I think we need to hear women's voices that have ideas on what the promised land is and not call them unfaithful or not question their commitment to the church because they have a feeling like, I could be a financial clerk. Um, and to be honest, that I—that is my dream calling—and not to have a man react to that, or even another woman, and say, "Well, it's not in the handbook that way," or "That's not the way it works." And sort of back to you know, have a place to set the feelings in our heart and validate how people feel, and recognize both of you women and and all the women connected in our church have incredible contributions to help us get to that promised land and help us in this promised land, so to speak. And sometimes we mute those contributions and people don't feel, I think one of the greatest ways to feel like you belong is that your, what you bring to the table is needed and not muted in any way. And also sometimes your difficult experiences aren't dismissed. Um, One when I was serving in my YSA assignment, someone suggested it was a simple thing, part of the New Promised Land, that when we were doing ward council, I should ask the women for input on the men's organizations. <laughs> it's a very simple thing. <laughs> I remember the first time I asked our Relief Society president when we were working through an elders quorum issue in ward council what her opinion was on that. She was a bit taken back. Um, but I felt impressed that she would have insights in. This is why we counsel together. Um, the primary president could have incredible insights into an issue in the elders quorum as you are sharing. Um, and that's part of counseling together and bringing all of our ideas together to solve world problems. But we need everybody's ideas um, to help to help become the body of Christ. Another thought is my sons and all men need to listen to this podcast. I know you're creating a safe place for women, but men, I encourage you to listen to this podcast because I think it will give you ideas on how to help, if, especially if you had priesthood responsibility for women or as a father, as a husband. I think it will give you ideas and better to be a better priesthood holder um, by listening to women's stories. Um, it certainly has helped me, and I have a ways to go in this area. And sometimes I get uncomfortable because I'm hearing things that are new to me. And, brothers, when I hear that, I like to sit in that pain for a little bit or that dissonance and say, is this something that's actually going to help me grow in a way that I need to grow? And and is it causing me to look inward and dismiss something that I've picked up that's not helpful? So sit with the dissonance a little bit, you know. <laughs> Brethren, as you hear women's voices, um, Cynthia, I think a long time ago, pointed out award budget and how sometimes it's not equal. I think you pointed it out to me some point a long time Uh ago, and, and I can't remember if it was the young men's versus the young women's budget, but just how that caused a fairness issue that rightly so. And so there's a lot of things that we can, if we look inward, can recognize that we can do. Um, Is part of getting us to this new promised land that is a place that everybody's voices are valued and needed and where we can really share what's in our heart and have a place to set it, to use Susan's words, and not just, you know, where it is right now. So turning it back to both of you for final comments.
2: Oh, Richard, you're doing amazing work here. And really, we're just trying to sort of expand on what you're doing already in um, welcoming people to bring in their stories and to help us all see and love each other a little bit better. And we've tried to just sort of create um, a sort of parallel space just for women. We do have a lot of male listeners, and we are actually quite surprised (laughs) and um, quite Touched by that, uh, it's been amazing to see how many men are listening and actually hearing things that they had never exactly.
1: considered before.
2: and that's so instructive exactly. to me because it shows a lot of why we are where we are. Um, it's not that the ideas are necessarily taboo or you know dangerous or scary or any of those things that we just haven't ever considered them. We've never considered them collectively. So there's a lot of value, I think, um, in in seeing things differently and thinking about things that we haven't ever thought about before and and doing it together. And so um, hopefully between the work we're doing and the work that you're doing and a lot of other people who are in this space with us, um, we're together going to build that promised land. I absolutely love that, love that idea and that thought. Uh, a land where um, the full body of Christ is is welcome because we need all the parts. So thank you for allowing us to come on and share today and for everything that you're doing.
1: I totally agree, Susan. I think we do need all the full body in Christ. We need the hands and the heart and the eyes and the feet. And... Uh, I think, Susan, you would agree with me that we're not trying to get anyone to feel angsty about things they may not feel angsty or your word, itchy about. Like people have enough pain in their lives. We exactly. We don't want them any additional. Exactly. We we're, we're not asking people to be upset if they're not upset. No. But we are trying to just make space for women who are a little bit unsettled or upset. Uh, and then like, like you said, Richard, sometimes it's it's hard for you to hear probably some of the things you hear um, on your own podcast. And so we we also recognize that, that some of the things Susan and I talk about are hard and not everyone is going to have the same feeling. Uh, we like to say your mileage may vary, right, Susan? And, and uh, your mileage may vary. You may not get as much mileage out of the things we talk about. Um, but we all are part of the body of Christ. And I absolutely believe we are stronger when we have more diversity in our pews. And that's my hope for our church is that we keep expanding that tent. Uh, how did you say, Susan, in the beginning, you know, make space, make more space, and then make a little bit more space.
0: Exactly. And
1: and that's my hope. That's my hope for this church. I want, I want all of us there together, uh, trying to figure out how we can emulate Jesus Christ more. In our life, and hopefully, as long as we have that same common goal, how can we emulate Jesus? Uh, we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay, even though we see things differently. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Susan and Cynthia. I, I just love um, our restored doctrine, listeners. Um, those core truths that came through the restoration of premortal life, uh, heavenly parents co-equal heavenly parents so we can have a personal relationship with, um, the atonement of Jesus Christ that heals our woundedness, um, this beautiful plan of salvation. But I think sometimes our culture and some of the things that institutionally come into our lives keep us from connecting with that beautiful restored doctrine. And I think that's one of the things I love about what Cynthia and Susan is doing is helping us improve so that more can connect with that core healing doctrine that's so unique to our church and so fundamental to my testimony. I also, listeners, take on the name feminist. I've been comfortable taking on that label to describe what I, as part of my bad coven, baptism covenants, to um, sort of amplify the voices of women and better walk with them. But I also recognize culturally, I'm less judged sometimes for taking on that label than women are. And you're smiling there. And so when Susan said, I'm a feminist, I recognize that in this weird way, I've sensed it's almost easier for men to say that and feel less judged by fellow Latter-day Saints than women, because there's some sort of angst that comes with that. So to me, let's let's humanize that word and let's not use that as a word that's divisive. It's a word to me that just is a reflection of baptism covenants to want to help um, others. And it's not a word that should divide us. So that's a couple just closing thoughts. And please, listeners, go check out this podcast. Subscribe, listen to their episodes. At last, she said it. Cynthia Winward and Susan Hinckley. And thank you to wonderful women and dear friends for being on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.